Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Me or you? Go ahead. Okay. So, uh, quick announcement, D&D update. We are behind the scenes shooting season two, editing season one. It's going to be a while, but when we release it, it's going to be week to week to week. So, there will be a delay, but just wanted to let you guys who did enjoy the show that it is coming. I'm working very hard on it, um, and I appreciate all the comments. So, thank you guys. He's on V11. I'm on V11 of episode, of episode three. three. A lot of editing. Never worked harder <laughs> in his life. D&D is getting all the sweat, blood, and tears. Exactly. Uh, so this is a th- random thing that I saw was that, uh, right now I have seen burst onto the scene, a lot of breath work instructors mm. and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm for the proliferation of breath work and it being out there and being done by people. Yeah. We often cite it as the right below psychedelics in terms yes. of can be transformational for people. My concern as I was like this upsets me because I was looking at the people that did it and I happen to know some of them and I know that like six months ago they hadn't heard of breath work and now <laughs> they are teaching it and you can get six free classes before they start charging you and by classes I mean like online downloads uh, and it made me sad because I believe that the average experience of breath work and its impact is likely to decrease oh, yeah. as it becomes proliferated by teachers that are one, they've seen the power of it in their own life. It's like, wow, this works really fast. But uh, of course, like everything, there's a depth to it. And you become better at it, better at helping people with the after effects as time goes on. Mm. And I think what is happening, because I was like, where is this coming from? I won't call them out, but there are these businesses, <laughs> essentially, that are, I think, started nobly mm-hmm. to be like, look, there's a lot of people that need help. We want to help coaches get out there and teach them these sorts of things. So we're going to certify people. Yeah. The problem is, and I see this in so many industries and on in the internet is that everyone gets certified. Yes. You can't possibly fail. So if you pay money and attend, you are certified, which is there's no testing. There's no quality assurance. Sounds like business school. It's exactly like business school. We get these copywriters who hit us. I am certified by filling the name copywriter. Yeah. They write the same template emails. Some of them don't even change your name. Like these are clearly not um, quality contractors to work with. And the problem for us in business and I think for other people is like you can't tell there are good copywriters out there. They are drowned out by the volume of mm-hmm. certified people who have – been instructed to get out there into the workforce and push their subpar product mm-hmm. by somebody in the back who is selling pickaxes during a gold rush and making all the money and uh, believes that they're doing a service to the world. They could teach the same business, instruct people, but if you had a barrier to graduation, then it would be valuable. Uh, and without it, I think, unfortunately, I feel like this happens in almost every industry. I think it happens, one of the big ones is with therapy where to be a therapist, it's like you show up, you go to school, you graduate. Do you have to have solved any of your own issues? Absolutely not. No, a great, like, great therapist will change your life mm-hmm. positively. A world-class therapist would will be an amazing boon for you. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of bad therapists, mm-hmm. mediocre therapists that will just be a waste of time. So it's yes. tough. You have, to, you have to really just burn through them until you find the good ones. And unfor- well, this is the thing. Unfortunately, it either turns people off to therapy because like I yeah. tried that, it wasn't that useful, or they do therapy for 10 years with, someone with that's somebody mediocre. that's not great, yeah. sink thousands of dollars, think that they're getting these benefits when really the benefits are basically like having someone listen while you speak. That's, mm-hmm. that's the extent of it. Uh, and missing opportunities to grow, even though they had that initial spark of like, I should seek out help which is a bummer mm-hmm. uh, and I don't like it. It makes me sad yeah, yeah. that these good technologies are the capitalism gets its hands in there and it's sure. like, how can we extract as much money by encouraging people to do what they love without being good at it? Yeah. So. Well, if people do want to get into breath work, there is an app that I like that I have used called Othership. That is a paid app. I actually am going to invest in that. I don't, I don't yet, but I do want to disclose like, I'm going to hopefully own a small amount of it, but I like it. I use it. I have used it in the past. If you want a free option to our friend, Evan has a breathwork online. So you can just go to YouTube and go to Evan Berger is the name of the channel guided breathwork class. We can try to link to that in the description. And uh, he is always showing me people writing in being like, this was so life-changing. Oh my God, this was amazing. This was so powerful. And so that's a totally free breathwork option as well. Mm-hmm. I like 
going to breathwork classes if you can, yeah, yeah. but it really requires being in a major city mm-hmm. to go to a place where a good person is going to lead a class of 20 people. There's something tribal about getting in that group and everyone kind of breathing together. But I've also done breathwork alone in my office and had good experiences with it. So mm-hmm. for people who are interested and they're like, oh shit, Charlie, <laughs> I wanted to do holotropic breathwork. Now you're saying everybody's crap. I'd recommend Othership or just Evan's YouTube channel. Yeah, and it's not that everybody's crap. I think it's a really good technology that is in some ways tough to mess up, but I think that you could get an even better experience with a uh, more thoughtfully recorded recording or a better instructor or an in-person experience with somebody who can guide you. Oh, I was on board with yeah. most of these people are going to be crap. I was I was buying your hypothesis. Breathwork is pretty easy to get right. It's like found the, the, found, the fundamentals, the 80-20 of breathwork. Sure take deep breaths for an extended amount of time, it's pretty It's pretty tough to screw up. Yeah. If it's anything like copywriting, I just know a lot of certified oh, well, people yeah, are yeah. Gonna, <laughs> they're going to be very bad. Yeah. So I just want to give some resources if people are interested and they sure. want to dodge, they want to dodge around all those kind of shady, maybe mediocre mm-hmm. breathwork things out there. Cool. Semi-related. Uh, there's a YouTube channel that I watch. We were actually looking right before COVID to get into the video game industry. We were going to go to the GDC, the Game Developers Conference, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like literally just, I know nothing about it, just hang out with people that knew what they were doing. Uh, and during that time, I subscribed to a bunch of channels. One guy, Thomas Brush, is an indie developer, and he, I don't watch all of his videos, but I saw one that grabbed my attention, and he told the story of having uh, made this game. It was a weird game. didn't fit with the zeitgeist of what is selling at the time. It okay. was like a horror shooter based in the garden of eden that's been corrupted it was like weird in in his own way um and he was making it making it making it didn't believe in it shut it down told his team they were going to move like animals are hot right now like let's make a thing where you're a dog (laughs) and you're around and did that and said i believe that he took a gummy i don't know if it was thc or psilocybin or what and from like one experience of that realized that the game that had his fingerprints on it was the one he needed to do. Yeah. The reason that he had shut it down, which I had forgotten to mention, was he reached out to one publisher mm-hmm. and said, do you like this? And they're like, yeah, this is good, but not for us. Mm-hmm. And that was enough rejection. Wow. It was like too sensitive. He like did the coming, got back on, emailed like 20 plus publishers, got back a bunch of them who were like, this is incredible, wanted to fund it. Like now, now he's got competing publishers and uh, is making the game now, is back in it. But I just was just... Uh, it was remarkable to me because I think this happens that he won, didn't identify what was really happening internally as he shut this game down. Was like, oh, this isn't marketable, despite the fact that he reached out to one mm-hmm. publisher who didn't say terrible things, uh, and that one experience had, I think, put him back on a path to sharing his the art that meant something to him with a broader public. I was like, oh, I, I fucking love that story. <laughs> I just I just really liked it. It made me happy. Well, it's sad. Yeah, it's sad that, the, that someone could put so much work and money and care and time into something and then let one rejection mm-hmm. just have them fold up their tent and give up the dream. Yeah. Well, I think because it was, if the dog thing fails, well, that was a market play. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't time the market. We didn't yeah. get the right thing. But if this doesn't do well, like, this is... I, this is a reflection on me. I care about this. This is my own weirdness that is being judged by the mm-hmm. world. Um, and weirdly enough, I don't know if it'll be successful, but I was like, this is how you make smash hits. Like, you don't... The first person, there's this big video game that came out called Stray. I don't know if you've seen it. Nope. You play as a cat. <laughs> you walk around, and most of the intrigue of the game is the real cat physics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, you like move like a cat. You leap over things, and... Uh, now everybody wants to do stress. Yeah, it sounds you like know, your girlfriend would love this game. Or the Hunger Games. You know what I mean? Like, oh, what we need to do is get a battle royale where, where all these kids have different powers and then they come out with Maze Runner and all these other follow-ups that just are uh, Stardew derivative. Valley, right? Uh, Stardew Valley, which was, you know, 20 years after like the last Harvest Moon. He's like, I want a farming simulator. Hasn't seen one of these in forever. Smash hit. It's not to say that everything weird is successful, but it is to say that, I don't know, those are the things that I like to see people doing, want more of, and can often wind up being like awesome movies, games, whatever. Yeah, well, this was our hypothesis with Charisma on Command and our hypothesis with D&D yes. is I am probably not going to make the absolute best version of something if I don't care about it and I only care about money. Mm-hmm. So if you're just if you're like, hey, go make the absolute best thing that you don't care about at all, it'll, I'll probably just end up doing an okay job. But if you say, hey, go make the absolute best version of this thing that you care deeply about, mm-hmm that feels way more achievable, even if it's a smaller market. Like the D&D is not 
it's <laughs> charisma on command D&D. These aren't the plays if you want to be a billionaire. Yeah, yeah, we're not in crypto. <laughs> yeah, there's just other things if you were starting with what are the biggest industries that mm-hmm. you would go do. But I do think that we can make an amazing show. And I think we have made a YouTube channel that I'm very proud of and a business I'm very proud of for Charisma on Command. So I think that's how I orient. I go, I, where can I smash this mm-hmm. relative to what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's gotta be something I care enough about to try really, really hard and care about the quality, you know? Yeah, yeah. To suck for an extended period of time and not quit when, when you suck versus like, I don't know, everybody's got their thing. You're like, I want to be a guitarist. And you're like, this is hard and you don't want to do it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think, you know, I'm like, I want to be a jazz guitarist. I'm like, I don't really like jazz. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so we tried to mirror that, but I was happy to see that somebody else did it as well. Yeah. Some people are not wired that way. I do want to clarify. Some people just care enough about money and fame that they can yeah. put that same energy into anything that mm-hmm. they think will achieve those external results. Yeah. So it's definitely possible for someone. Yeah. But it's just not how we've done it. Not me. Uh, totally random. Uh, so student, we missed this one by like a day on last week. It was all the news. Student mm. debt forgiveness. I prefer the term reassignment yeah. <laughs> because uh, the idea of loans just being like between friends forgiven, it is not... The person who lent it is not forgiving them. Uh, a third party, the rest of the American public <laughs> that didn't have anything yeah, yeah. to do is uh, not being given a choice by executive order is being reassigned the burden of that yeah. debt. Well, this is the, the, I don't know if you want to start here, but that's something I've seen that's interesting in this discourse for uh-huh. student loan forgiveness is people saying, if you are against this, you just are against other people being happy. This is literally because what I was going to start with. It's so ridiculous to say, oh, I paid off my student loans, so you should have to. Or, oh, I didn't go to college, so why should their loans be forgiven? Like, don't be a sadist. Yeah. Just be happy for our happiness. As if the government has infinite money that comes from nowhere that has no penalty for printing, and they can just choose to solve homelessness, world hunger, student loans, and decide not to because they're malicious politicians. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying... Any program comes at the cost of other programs and comes from the populace. So it's not that people want you to suffer. They're saying, hey, we took $300 billion from the U.S. people via taxes. Yeah. Is the best way to help our country this particular program compared to every other program? And like that argument is being so brutally strawmanned into if you don't like this, you just hate suffering and are an asshole, mm-hmm. and- which is so illogical and such a weak <laughs> such yeah. a weak but popular argument that i see well any to to rebut what i think is the um counter to what you just said like oh the the perfect is the enemy of the good it's i'm not even saying you have to find the single best way to deploy 300 billion dollars without wasting a dollar i'm saying uh don't subsidize middle class poor decision making <laughs> like there's just other people that i'd rather well, also, money go to based on other criteria even if you want to help the middle class and you think that college is unaffordable and it's creating an unfair environment, which I'm on board with, make a systemic change. So change Biden did say he was going to do that. Well, this um, didn't. This first $300 billion Has nothing to do with it. Didn't that. do that. I agree. This first $300 billion, if it's all they do, we'll have the exact same amount of student loans in about four years from what I was reading. Yeah. So nothing changes. The colleges don't have to adjust. They aren't penalized for this. Other people just keep making the same decision because the incentive structure hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. And this problem, if you think it is one, to the middle class, which I'm totally on board with saying is a massive problem, has not been alleviated at all and will just recur. (laughs) So, yeah, it just seems like even if that's your goal is to help people that want to go to college, this is not the best way to do it. Well, I, yeah, I don't know why we would set the goal at help people that want to go to college. I think there's a couple of things. So one, the first thing I wrote is funny that you brought it up. The narrative of like, these dissenters just want people to suffer. I find really aggravating. Yeah, it's and, dumb. And so uh, dumb. I'm sure that I've done this, but the total lack of attempt to understand and to characterize it as like they just love suffering for others is so. I don't know. It's like a shameful. <laughs> it's 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 well, you know, a lot a crazy, of crazy. It's a is, crazy take. Not every belief is like this, but a lot of religious beliefs, a yeah. lot of political beliefs. They you start with what you have to believe, which is mm-hmm. that guns are good or guns are bad, abortions good or abortions bad. There is a god or there isn't a god, and then you try your best to get there. And so some people yeah. want their student loans forgiven, and so they're going to try really hard to figure it out. They're not starting from if I didn't know who I was in this system but I had control of $300 billion, what would I do with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So things that I, 
my I have a couple. I think first off, Crystal and Sagar have done a couple interesting videos. Sagar's got. I won't repeat everything that he says, but maybe we link it. I can try to find the video that I thought was sure. his opinion was pretty interesting on it. But as I sit back and just personally think, I was like, what do I want? I heard that they're doing like a California school lunch program for kids where every kid gets access to lunch. I was like, I like that. These eight-year-olds did not choose to be born into a family that couldn't provide them with lunch. You know what I mean? Like we want, that is a floor that I want to see yeah. raised. And those are the types of things that I would like to see um, supported in it. Go ahead. Have you considered that the eight-year-olds should just lift themselves up by their bootstraps like good libertarians? Like good libertarians. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And so the question is like, at what point uh, does do we go take personal responsibility? For me, it's certainly not the eight-year-old that doesn't have lunch. And I like that sort of collective action to tax people to make sure that, that eight-year-olds can eat. Um, and all the way through school, there's a lot of different ages in there as well. My problem is with this, which is essentially a bailout of the university system, mm -hmm. which makes me very sad because I think that they have successfully, I mean, look at this business model. We are not taxed because we have not-for-profit institutions. We uh, call up people after they've <laughs> graduated to ask for more money, despite the fact that our costs have risen and the outcome that you get as a result of college has not. But we yeah. still have the gall to reach out to you once a year with a freshman student on a telethon drive shaming you or asking you into giving more money. Yeah. Take all of that money, we put it into an endowment <laughs> that we have managed by a hedge fund that just grows, it grows, it grows, it grows, it grows it while the hedge fundies get their two and 20 off the backs of it. Uh, we also have a social monopoly on the word education after the age 18. This is what hurts me the most. This is like, you want America to fall behind in education? Like, no. We have so many other options though. There's code academy type things. There's the internet writ large. There's writing groups that people join that help them learn how to become better writers and publish sure. authors. Seth Godin's got a business course that people really like. There are so many better options that are being out-competed by these colleges because of the one social pressure behind, like college is education, which that narrative won't stop. But these massive subsidies that even when you have an obviously better product that people respond to really well, get a ton of value out of, are happy to refer and recommend you can't outcompete the government putting its entire weight behind trying to prop up this industry. Yeah, uh, and it's not for and it's not taxed. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, yeah. how many advantages do you need before you are held accountable to produce um, a product that is economically viable? Uh, and so, anyway, the Sagar's take, which I won't repeat in its whole, a couple of interesting things is that uh, this could also be viewed as a way of Democrats siphoning money to Democrat producing factories, which I thought was interesting given that college like increases your um, likelihood of being Democrat by 37%. Um, so I thought that was just a take. And the only one small thing that I wanted to add was I keep hearing this stat that like 87% of people that are affected by these loans are making less than $75,000 per year, to which I say, why did we cap it at 125? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, $125,000 is so much money to pay back your loans. If you're not paying back your loans at 125K, we got to talk. Well, we've talked about this. People, they, a lot of people, they want to not have to make sacrifices in their mm -hmm. lifestyle in order to pay back things like their student loans. So that's like, oh, I have 125 grand a year salary, but I, I have such high rent because I want to live in the middle of Soho mm -hmm. in New York. And you go, well, maybe until you pay back your rent, you don't get to. Yeah. You have to live not in Soho. You still get to live in Manhattan, just not in the exact place, in the exact building that you want. Or maybe you get to do that, but you need a roommate. Yeah, yeah. And people don't want to do that. They think that's unfair and they should get to live where they want in the nicest place that they want. And they can't do that with 125 grand a year and pay their student loans. Yeah. So bail them out. Yeah. But I was just like, look, if the stat you're going to give me that you think I care about is people under 75K, set it at 75K. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, please, this this extra 13 is just wild to me. Well, Biden's uh, approval rate has uh, peaked. It's the highest it's been in a year. Yeah. So well, it and, did. It worked. Yeah, yeah. That's what he was trying to do. You yes. know, he wasn't really trying to do <laughs> allocate the money the most efficiently. Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> and then the last- Trying to get those midterms going. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's the best read on it. Not more than like the you know, siphoning money to Democrat producing factories. Just this is a politically shrewd move. 
Um, but then the last thing that I hear is I, I see, uh, at least online, these comparisons to PPP or prior bailouts. And I think that um, while instructive, they are not really fair. Basically, my zoomed out understanding is that when we had the TARP stuff for bailing out banks, et cetera, I believe they were required to pay that back for the auto industry. And if they weren't, I don't stand behind it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I've also said on the podcast, I think it's pretty wild that we keep bailing out the airline I agree. And we I should agree. just stop and say, hey, you guys should pay less dividends and keep some cash on hand. Yes. Because you're not getting bailed out. Yes. Because, by the way, we don't need to bail you out to have flights. I'll just let you go bankrupt, sell your planes at a penny on the dollar mm -hmm. to a different company that will open up a new airline and fly all your routes. Yeah, yeah. So the idea that we need to bail out certain companies to keep the industry going is not true. Yeah, yeah. So I'm down to just make an announcement that says some of these industries that always get bailed out, hey, we're going to stop. So just expect your stock price to go down because we're going to stop taking taxpayer money to bail you out that you just dividend out to the people that buy your stock mm -hmm. and start keeping cash on hand because yeah. the bailouts aren't coming. So yeah, I'm down with a lot of the criticism for other bailouts. I just don't know that that's, do we want to justify future behavior by pointing to past bad behavior? I don't know that that's the precedent setting we want. I think that's the better point that I should have been making a moment ago is, yeah, it's, uh, this is how you get cultures of cheating and bribery. And not to say that we don't already have that, but when it's, hey, this so the system is already corrupt, so I'm an idiot if I don't dip my hand in the pot. Uh, is it's a that's not a community that you feel safe contributing to the pot in mm -hmm. <laughs> you know like i like i'm going to contribute via my tax dollars and either a bank an airline or a college student <laughs> or a whole bunch of college students is going to uh make poor decisions and then be rescued from the consequences of those decisions yeah. is frustrating well banks is tough i think a lot of the reason they got bailed out is because they have all of our money yeah yeah so if you don't you you may hurt a lot of your populace. And I think there's cleaner ones. I think, but you could say something like, hey, we're going to bail you out. By the way, a government bailout means that your CEO loses his golden parachute. Absolutely, So yeah. if you run a business, like a bank, that goes bankrupt, and you're supposed to get $50 million severance, but you accept bailout money, you get no severance. And clawbacks. You know, clawbacks <laughs> yeah. are some sort of thing. And again, I don't know the exact, how the incentive structure would mean to be changed, but to investigate it. And certainly what has happened is you have, in every one of these cases, you have privatized gains from the students who went to college and publicized losses. Mm -hmm. Like other people pay for it. Any rational actor in the Adam Smith sense is going to take that deal, especially when everyone around him is like, look, if you don't get in there, there's going to be nothing left in the pot mm -hmm. <laughs> for, you to, for you to remove from. So yeah, it feels, uh, I think I was not as evolved in earning money during the first bailouts. I probably would have been furious if, if I had been, but I was still you know, accumulating my student debt sure. at that point in time. Yeah, I think, and like I said, I think a lot of them, you could be, you could say, I understand the need for it today, but we need to make massive changes to mm -hmm. CEO payout if you get a bailout, airlines and what they get to keep on cash, or if we just do fire sales, if you guys go bankrupt, like there's mm -hmm. better ways than we've done. But yeah, I think my, my highest level thing would just be for people who think these are a good idea to not think that if you don't think these are a good idea, you're a monster and instead try to understand the argument. Well, I'll give you one. If you told me that we were sending 300 billion to charities around the world to help people in the most need, it wasn't going to help a single American. I would support that more mm -hmm. as long as it was distributed on the basis of need unrelated to like, uh, we're incentivizing a certain behavior that is not good. Like you don't have access to water. What behavior caused that? I don't know. You were born in the wrong place. Like, cool. Like we want, we want support there. Sure. Or if you, if people say, well, since it's tax money paid by the U S citizens, we, it, we demand it help the U S people, you know, you, think you, brought up, you think you brought yeah, up a great yeah. one, which is yeah. how about little kids that can't afford food. That seems like a pretty solid thing. I can't think of a everything related to little reason kids. that yeah. they shouldn't <laughs> yeah, be yeah. receiving my tax money in order mm -hmm. to be able to, eat every day it seems very reasonable and to add a complicating factor that what you get are adults that then be play the game of like you know when you incentivize people to take foster kids then you have these some families which are taking a bunch of foster kids in order to get the government money so you will have problems and leaky buckets in anything but this one seems structured to uh subsidize poor decision making <laughs> uh, in the past and to encourage it in the future which is to say people going to colleges for degrees that train them to do nothing that anyone in the world wants or cares about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, I think a great 
solution would be to make the loans less guaranteed in some way, closer to other loans, such that the banks had to actually assess if this was a good investment or if they were likely to not get paid back. And so then people would not get loans depending on their major or their GPA. And you might think, well, that means they can't go to college. I actually think that would depress college prices. I think colleges would not be able to charge so much money. And some would. Harvard, Wharton Business School, their prices wouldn't drop. Their students would still get the loans. But those people probably aren't suffering if they went to those universities, unless they got a degree that doesn't help them get a job. But if they did, then maybe they shouldn't get the big loans. And if they didn't, then Harvard and Wharton might charge different rates for different degrees. Isn't it crazy that they're not taxed? (laughs) Isn't it crazy? Sorry. I'm just like going, they have this massive business model. They're doing, oh my God. Anyways. Yeah, I don't know. And I actually, as I'm thinking about it, I don't know that that's unfair to say, oh, if you go to Harvard as an econ major, you have to pay 40 grand. But if you go to Harvard and you're, this major where people don't really get jobs after you only have to pay five grand. You're saying, well, that's not fair. They're at the same college. Yeah. But that's like saying all cars should be the same mm-hmm. price. Like you pay for the features of the car or the brand or whatever it is you like yeah, about that, it. That's why we that, have Rolexes and Timexes. And or so, even, you know, degrees of degrees, uh, makes of BMW, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think that'd be unreasonable. And I think you'd still see just as many people excited to go get the econ degree that gets them the $200,000 job right out of college. Mm-hmm but you wouldn't have crippling student loans on the other programs because the other programs wouldn't be able to charge as much. One thing that I want to add to that is I am a huge believer in liberal arts education. I am just not a believer that you need a college for that and that you need to pay the exorbitant prices. I think poetry, English, all like that's what I did. I sure. love that stuff. I want people to be out there writing, creating music, all that stuff. You just do not need to spend these exorbitant prices in order to get training and to become professionally um, interesting to the world in any of those things. So, yeah, I'm not trying to make a world filled of engineers and econ majors at all. I just, I just want the colleges to go away. Um, so, yeah, those are my thoughts. Cool. I have one other thing. Okay. And then, cool. Andrew Tate's final message after being removed from social media. Mm, I haven't I, seen it. I watched probably 35 minutes. It's long, and it's and it, he is uh, he is repetitive, but. What I was thought was most interesting to me in those first 35, um, we've already talked about, basically, I don't think he should have been deplatformed like that. Um, but that's, that's a, that is too, I, I think that these social media platforms ought to have the right individually, but it disturbs me when they act collectively in order to just remove people's voice from the public sphere. You think it sounds like that they are platforms and ought to be accountable to either to present themselves as publishers and be have editorial control, but also be liable to lawsuits or be platforms and have much less control over who gets to say what on them. And therefore, yeah. And I think there's, I think you can make a different thing that's for social media companies. That's maybe less strict than platforms. Mm -hmm. I do. My biggest thing is I see, I see us slipping from dangers to society to person I disagree with. Yeah. And I think that that precedent is dangerous when all of a sudden people that you like, that you think have important ideas are getting removed. And so I don't, I don't agree with what Andrew Tate says, but I think that the idea that we've, so like, let's say someone's out there amassing a giant audience, demanding violent action against a certain group that people bomb buildings. We want that person removed from every platform. We want every platform to do it at the same time. So that we're like, yeah, sure. At some point, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Mm -hmm. whatever, get this guy out of here. Where do you draw that line? And I just see it creeping. And I worry it's a little bit like, when a president does executive orders and everybody who supports that president loves it until the next president gets in and does the same amount of executive orders that are for the other political party. All the people that supported the first president now hate it and say, you have to go through Congress. This is not your, this is an overreach. It's like, well, I didn't hear you saying this when your guy was doing it. And so that's what I mostly see is, okay, what if the next people that raise up start removing people that you think have very important things to say? Mm -hmm. And if you think that Trump is stealing nuclear documents, what if all these people started getting deplatformed who were saying that? And the only people that were allowed on the platform were people who said that he was being wrongfully yeah. pursued by the FBI. And if you feel the opposite, just reverse that. You wouldn't like it. So I think we just have to be careful what precedent we set, pretending we don't know if we like or dislike the outcome. Sure. That's where I land. And I see a lot of people being very outcome Focus. This gets rid of the guy that I wanted gone. Yeah. The behavior. Yeah. And I just think that's 
dangerous because you can't guarantee, you've now set the precedent that it's okay and you can't guarantee that, it won't be that you'll like the outcome yeah. in the future. So I, have, I think you have to go, do I want this applied when I like it and when I don't like it? Mm -hmm. And if you can say yes, then it's a good behavior that you can approve. And if not, then I think it's important to be like, okay, even though I like this outcome, we shouldn't do this because I might dislike the fallout of this even more than I like this current happenstance outcome. Yeah, I think what happens in those and in people's attempt to be principled is that they either are hysterically emotional or they are bad faith and they make the claim that Andrew Tate is dangerous mm -hmm. to society. And so they go, well, no, I, I can, I can, I want us only to remove, I don't want you to remove people I disagree with. I only want you to remove societal dangers like, uh, that terrorist threatening to explode everything and Andrew Tate, who fit the same category. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's fine. I think you should define what dangerous is and then just get prepared for when somebody who... So let's say you don't like Andrew Tate. You're probably liberal and you're very you know forward-leaning in your progressive beliefs or whatever. What happens when someone decides... Like there's a guy who was running for public office who thinks that gay being gay is a sin. Mm -hmm. What happens when he thinks that anybody that makes it okay to be homosexual because they are homosexual and they talk about it as if it's okay is a danger to society. And so they just start banning every big LGBT yeah, yeah. person on these platforms. Are you comfortable with how dangerous getting defined? Mm -hmm. So that's my only question. If you want to say that Andrew Tate's dangerous, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm going to ask you to define dangerous yeah, yeah. and then apply it, assuming someone that Fine held evenly. different yeah. beliefs got to use the same definition and see if you're comfortable with the outcome. Mm -hmm. And if you are, great. Everyone gets executive orders. Obama got a bunch. Trump mm -hmm. got a bunch. Now Biden gets the student debt one. And if Republican wins after Biden, he'll do the equivalent of. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like with the Supreme Court. When people liked that they were legislating from the bench, let's, we don't have to worry about Congress to legalize gay marriage or to legalize abortion. We got Roe v. Wade. And then it splits. So they remove Roe v. Wade. And now people are furious and it's like, yeah, we sh you should have been pushing for Congress to do this mm -hmm. even when you liked the outcome yeah. because this was the precedent that got set was that the Supreme Court gets to decide yeah. if abortion is legal or not nationwide. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's my whole view on YouTube is like, okay, you like, we're 6-3 Democrat right now in the Supreme Court and you like it. <laughs> how <would you laughs> when like we're 6-3 yeah, Republican, yeah. are you going to like how much power we've given the Supreme Court? Mm -hmm. You like these platforms because so you don't like Andrew Tate. Are you going to like it when they are hunting down all the people that have beliefs that they think are equivalently dangerous from their point of view because they're defining danger. Mm -hmm. And if you're cool with it, then great, cool. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with you. I think it's a very good way of approaching it. I see people's, the ease with which they even skirt that and just get funny with the defining of danger such that it is their definite, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Like, well, unfortunately, they're not, their mental dishonesty is not going to protect them. Yeah, because when the Supreme Court does switch to six through the other mm -hmm. side, it's going to do it. And yeah, when yeah, Trump yeah. comes into office, he's going to do the executive orders. And when mm -hmm. Biden comes into office, he's going to do the executive orders. So, mm -hmm. so being cute with your math might, or with your language, yeah. language might help you when you're arguing Argument online at the dinner table. Yeah, but it's not actually going to protect you when the tables turn. Sure. So, yeah, that's it's 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 for you. It's yeah, for you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not really going to help you. In fact, it's going to you're going to be blindsided when it happens because mm -hmm. you thought you had this figured out because yeah. you were trying to win the argument at the dinner table instead That's, of... Yeah, fair point. Yes, Andrew Tate. So his final message, I mentioned this to you, but I would just bring it up. It was a very sad introduction that uh, I don't think he was aware of. He basically just like laid out a core trauma of his life mm -hmm. without really acknowledging it and, and citing it as a point of strength, which I think it has been for him as well. But his, the story that he tells us, he was picked on as a kid. He's on the school bus these kids pick on him, pick on him, pick on him. He goes home, he tells his dad, and his dad says, you know, nobody's going to protect you. The bus driver ain't going to protect you. I'm not going to protect you. The teacher's not going to protect you. you got to figure it out. And he's, I think, growing up in, like, south side of Chicago. It's not a great area. And that might be true <laughs> in that in that circumstance. Um, so they pick on him, pick on him, pick on him. One day, he takes his metal lunchbox and cracks a kid in, in the face. Blood everywhere. Bus screeches to a halt. He runs off the bus and, according to him, runs home faster than he's ever run in his entire life. Gets home. His dad sees him. He's panicked. He's got blood on his lunchbox. Without speaking a word about it, his story, his dad takes him to Walmart, buys him a Lulu lunchbox, and says, I will buy you as many of these as you need. Mm. And 
it's like, oh, <laughs> I get it. I see uh, your view of the world. And what he took from that is you never can, uh, you never go to authority when you have a problem. You have to solve things on your own in a violent way. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, the world is dangerous and people will not look out for you. And he didn't seem reflective on the fact that like, bro, you're a multi, multi-millionaire. You are no longer in the South side of Chicago. The rules that may have helped you survive then that were imposed on you by your environment and by your dad, you know, like that, he could have taken a different approach, which might've had better outcomes. Yeah. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe that not. really is how maybe you not. have to survive that's that situation. that's the only way to do it there. Yeah. You're no longer in that world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, everybody does this. They the the rules that they made as kids, the lessons that their parents taught them, that got them through things, and that they think are like the way the world works, become impediments later in life. And yeah. he is not in that situation anymore, where like you. Dude, I just can imagine what that does to a kid. You know, you can't trust fucking anyone to help you look out for you. You can't ever break down. You must be mentally strong at all times. And he's like, I have mental strength. Things do not bother me. And it's like, oh, cool. Like, you're the one. You're the human that doesn't get bothered by things. <laughs> like, I got it. You've, yeah, you've you've built an incredible repression tool, which was totally fucking necessary for the environment that you were in. And you did such a good job that you're not even inclined to self-reflect on that yeah. and see like, did I really kill all of those emotions and deal with them? Or did I just manage to deeply, deeply bury them? And, yeah. uh, you I think, know, yeah. my opinion, I think is obvious by the way I'm talking about. Yeah. It. Yeah. No. And I think it's interesting to just reflect on the fact that that's to some degree, that's true for everybody. Yeah. Um, but also like, and I think it's funny cause I hear I did do it, probably still do it. He did it. The stories that we tell, like our founding myths of the way that we are, which we like, support us and like it helps us get through life um just viewing it from an outside perspective is like oh my god man i'm so fucking sorry you had to crack that guy in the face and then your dad didn't even really speak to you about it it was just an acknowledged like i support the violence that you need to survive i'm sorry that that was how you had to grow up it's just fucking uh sad man i don't know and I, yeah, I didn't grow up at the south side of Chicago, and I didn't have to do that. And I could be hurt and not have that be the end of times. Uh, not to a full degree, <laughs> because I was still born in the '90s and had a, t- you know, typical upbringing. But yeah, it's just sad. Um, that was that was what I thought when watching it, and he didn't seem to know. So. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. I do think some people will listen to this and tell you that you overvalue how impactful childhood is. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's just a thing I've seen. They go the the idea that you think that our childhoods shape us is just a crazy assumption. And I've seen people comment that, and so expect that. I got over that when I was like sixteen. Agree to disagree on no, that. I, yeah, yeah. No, strong agree to disagree. Um, and if I had to prove it to you, I'd be like, extend yourself. Do like four guided MDMA sessions with a therapist. And uh, if at the end of that... That you find legally. That you find legally um, in a few years <laughs> when it is legal. Uh, if at the end of that you still think like you think, I will still not believe you, but I will I will back off the argument entirely because uh, I'm sure I'm pretty much certain that if Andrew Day did four MDMAs, it would, he'd see some shit. So... But you have to do it in the right session because going to Burning Man and doing it won't necessarily have you reflect on your childhood. (laughs) It may just have you reflect on how beautiful the art is. Yeah. And that's okay too. Yeah. What you got? I have a weird one. I didn't know this. 65% of cancer survivors surveyed by War on Cancer said that they had been ghosted by friends or family (sighs) after their diagnosis, which I found super surprising. But I guess in the US, people are so scared of death and death is such a foreign thing and we've talked about this before in the past in history, you just see people die and that was a more part of life. We're so scared of it now. People said that they would get diagnosed with cancer and friends would stop hanging out with them because they didn't want to see them deteriorate, deteriorate because oh, it reminded man. them of their own mortality. And so they would just cut these people when they needed a support network the most. And that, that made me really sad. You know, you think that that's, what friend, that's when your friends and family are most important to you, you would think. And... Yeah, sixty five percent of people said they just somebody goes bounced. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I'm not surprised now that you say it that it's that high. It makes sense. And the good news is it's not every person in their life, but it is some people. For a lot of people, it was a lot of people. 
Really? It's not, yeah, it wasn't like a rare thing. They said it's, it was. Some people said it was, it was one of the hardest aspects was that they come out the other side cancer-free and just go. <sighs> I got nobody left. Yeah. yeah, yeah, everybody bailed on me. Wow. And then they want to come back and say, oh, oh my God, I'm sorry. God. And they go, yeah, you yeah. kind of bailed on me in yeah, my yeah. most important time when I needed you. I don't feel the love for you anymore, yeah, yeah. you know? So it's just, you know, it's just interesting. And I, I was very surprised by that. I understand the psychology that gets people there, but well, it's hard. It becomes, I mean, I, it becomes everybody's tragedy. You know, it's like the closer that person is to you, like, Oh, now this is the defining aspect of my life. And it feels escapable. If mm-hmm. you can just cut that person out, you know, I can just not hang out with them and not have that be, and not have my life be tragic in the next six to 12 months or I can be in the hospital and you know what I mean? And, and yeah, yeah. Uh, that's painful. Fucking sucks. Yeah, it's just surprised. I didn't really have a takeaway. I just, just thought that was a, an unexpected, very common human reaction. Mm. I'm sure, and I'm sure people listening to this have their own versions of like, mine wasn't cancer, but mine was when I went bankrupt, yeah, yeah. or mine was when I, you know, had this other thing. And yeah, it's a bummer. So you you hope your friends and family are there when you need them, and and for the good times. Yeah. Apparently, men in terms of husband and wife, I've read briefly, are more likely to do that than women are. Like it's it's the men that are bail when They'll there's a dip out when it's tough. Yeah. Interesting. On average. But oh. Cool. Comforting as a heterosexual <laughs> man. And then another random one. So modern dads spend three times as much time with their kids as men two generations ago. Mm. So that's pretty neat. Wow. Back in 1982, this is another random one. 43% of fathers said they'd never change a diaper and that's down to 3%. And I'm sure the manosphere is very upset about that. <laughs> I'll be the 3%. <laughs> but I think that's probably pretty good for kids, you know, regardless of what you think about the male, oh, yeah. female dynamics of it. And maybe you, you, you're red pill and you think that that's the downfall of masculinity or whatever. But I think for a kid to be able to spend time with his dad. He's good. That's very good. Well, yeah, so he, could still be the, a, he could be conservative, traditional uh, guy, and time is time, you know? Like, yes. That's great. Well, yeah, there's, but there's even they're saying, like, you know, changing diapers. I think there's probably some corners of the internet where people be like, that's a sign yeah, yeah. that the world, society has gone bad. But I don't know. I read this and I went, this is great. Kids get to spend more time with their dads. Dads are more involved. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably better for the mental health of the babies of the generations sure. that are to come, so thought that was cool yeah 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 100 i agree cool that's it that's all i got one sad one one happy one nice justin what do we got we got a question uh do you guys feel like you two are in an echo chamber and if you do do you mind that and why yes i feel like i'm in an echo chamber uh i do not know anybody who says the things that i read on reddit uh everybody around me thinks a lot of the things that i think and with and the exceptions that we have can seem big, but in the scope of human human opinion are relatively small. Mm-hmm. So do I think that's good or bad? I think it is, to a degree, inevitable. I think no matter where you suit, it is pleasant to sh- spend time with people who share your values. And I don't think that, like, I think that's just a fact of nature. And I noticed the other thing is I've tried to connect with some people. Like I'm okay with the difference in value. There's people, a big one is I do not value business growth that much, but I have tried to connect with people that do. Cause I'm like, I care about business. I find it a fun, interesting things. And I, I can learn from you. And I feel like I could share with you some personal growth. And those people have no interest in hanging out with me after the first meeting where they uncover and learn that i am not going to be a force that drives them towards more and more money yeah and they're not wrong they're they're their totally right. goal is wealth accumulation as fast as possible <laughs> as much as possible right i want to get 100 million dollars asap spending time with you they sense may convince them mm-hmm. that that's a bad goal yeah that 50 million would be plenty yeah, you know yeah. and maybe they should look into why they need the next 50 million mm-hmm. and they sense it and they go i don't want this i don't want this this guy's gonna hold me back. Even if it's, you know, going to make them happier and more fulfilled, Mm -hmm. they will, because of their current structure of their beliefs, they will flee from that relationship. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think it's people can be an echo chamber because you're censoring people out or because people are running for the hills (laughs) to not get, you know, dragged into the the more, uh, you know, spiritual or therapeutic stuff that we like. And it's also, you know, so... I mean, I bring that one up because I've seen that one over and over. I was like, dude, what is happening? And then I, I was like, oh, there's a pattern here. So that's one that I 
point to, but like, just think of how I spend my time. If I were to spend my time in church or, you know, I would Mm -hmm. meet people of different opinions. But if Sunday between the hours of nine and noon, I'm not at church, it's tougher for me to connect Mm -hmm. with a whole bunch of Christians who think very differently than I do. If they bring up their beliefs at dinner and I engage in a discussion about how I don't believe, they don't want to spend time with me, even though that's something that I, I actually enjoy that tension. Well, also for my close relationships, at least, where we disagree and we bring it up and no one changes their mind, especially about politics, often we'll just be like, this isn't really worth talking about because no one is... So it's not an echo chamber, but it's not something that's discussed every day because no one is changing, growing, improving. You know, it's just two people talking at each other. And so it ends up being, we're a close relationship, but we don't do this battle every time. I try to be a flip-flopper. I'm pretty down. I've changed a lot of my beliefs over the years, but I think a lot of people feel like their political beliefs or religious beliefs are part of their identity Mm -hmm. in a way where I have felt like other things are part of my identity. And I'm sure I'm very protective of those things. Yeah. But- if you don't think it's part of your identity, you don't think it's death to change your mind. Mm-hmm. And if you do think it's part of your identity, then you will never change your mind. And so I've, I've switched political beliefs. I've gone from religious to agnostic to atheist to spiritual. Like, I'm just down for that. But I think a lot of people are not. And so they fight very hard to not have conversations that might change their mind in the areas that they feel our core to them mm-hmm. but it also helps you not be in an echo chamber if you're willing to change your mind because if somebody does have a better argument than me i'll just switch so sure, sure, <laughs> i just go all right sure not even but uh, somebody who has a very different opinion of you might be someone who thinks that words constitute violence and that you're disagreeing with someone is an erasure of their experience so like yeah you can disagree from the content but you have this fundamental value which is like i believe that through dialogue two people can not attack each other and arrive at a more true understanding of the world. And somebody else's dialogue is, or understanding is, uh, words are uh, mechanisms of power that only serve the ruling white male patriarchy. And if you're talking, you're erasing the other person's experience. That's so, tougher. I do need to have exchange of words. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that and that's an you know, you, there are tons of those people. There's a lot of them. So. I actually, as, as, as I'm thinking through this question, I think that echo chambers are impossible to not want to create. You want to be around people that have shared understanding so that you may move forward in the world rather than colliding at like, oh, I think we can dialogue and you think I can't. <laughs> We're, we can't go anywhere with this total lack of understanding. Um, and so, yeah, what? how do you deal with that? I think you try to you build the habit of like, steel manning other people's arguments um i do think that i understand some people are closed off to them but like psychedelics do really open your uh mind to different perspectives and will will help you change so that for me is one way that i try to stay like receptive to different sorts of things um yeah but what do you do how do you deal with the fact that inevitably your friends will 99 percent of the time share your corest values and you might not be right about some of those Mm -hmm. core values yeah i think if i had to guess i think doing work to disentangle your beliefs from your identity is the best thing you could do it's being like i'm ben altman Mm -hmm. and i can be republican i can be democrat i can Mm -hmm. be pro guns i can be anti-guns i can be monogamous i can be open polyamorous but like i'm always ben altman yeah, yeah, yeah. i think when you start to think of like i'm ben altman the yeah political party theist atheist who does this and you know what i mean then it's going to be it's going to be just way you've attached yourself to more things you're unwilling to yeah yeah bend on or change on yeah and so i think that's I think that's a good probably point. the best thing you could do if you want to be someone who isn't trapping yourself in echo chamber is release these beliefs from being the core aspects of who you are and how you identify yourself because otherwise you have to suffer ego death every time you change your mind on a big issue which is yeah which is death so you don't want to do that no i think i think even you're uh totally fine but like yeah the way that you hold it is like i am ben altman like there is a person i exist Mm -hmm. in this world like other people are like i am and so you're there's gonna be some 
bumps when you interact with a person like that because they're going to be sure, sure. more ethereal, woo-woo, and you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, but here we are. Yeah. And, and so um, what you're pointing at is a process of like investigating who you are. What is my identity? Who am I? Is a fundamental question that I, I think leaves you open if you get it increasingly right to taking in alternate opinions and mm-hmm. revising your, your beliefs about reality. I like it. Yeah. I also think another thing that's been helpful for me is it's, I don't know how to describe it except for exposing yourself to other beliefs, but the like traveling was very helpful. Yeah. Traveling was huge. You know, cause I, I would really bought into the U S I don't want to say propaganda, but like the, the U S lesson of we're number one mm-hmm. and we're the good guys and our wars are just, mm-hmm. and if we're fighting someone, they're the bad guy. And I was like, this makes total sense to me. I'm yeah, six. Yeah. Now I'm seven. Now I'm 16. It's all checks out. Everyone around me agrees. So yeah, it was only through going abroad that I was even open to like, eventually I read the economic hitman book and started to get aware of some of the things we'd done in South America. But I think this first step had to be going to South America and caring about it yeah, yeah, and yeah. talking to people. And then I was open to like, oh, we're screwing these people. Mm. And they are people to me. They're not vague. You know, if I'd never, like, well, when have I ever met a Costa Rican yeah, yeah, or a yeah. Brazilian until I've been there? It's like a stick figure in terms of how detailed they are in my mind. Yeah. So I think traveling was very helpful. And I think that's a lot of people who are deeply theists, you know, they often don't challenge that idea that much in high school. Maybe they have some doubts, but then they get to college and they meet other people who aren't from their religious community. And that's when they go, oh, I am open to deeply exploring this now. Mm -hmm. I like it. Exposure. All right, Patreon. Let's do it. What What do we got today? We're going to talk about if MDMA therapy could lead to more wars. Okay. Why (laughs) psychopathic villains are idolized, and then we're going to help with some emotional mastery and trigger meditation. Nice. All right. It's good stuff. You guys want to check it out? $3. We should eventually raise it to $5. Everybody, we can grandfather in, but $3 is a weird amount. (laughs) Whatever whatever the dollar amount that you click right now gets you access to this Patreon, all the others, keeps the podcast going. It's a primary source of income. It all goes to Justin. We don't take any out, Um, and it lets us keep doing this. So You can join the Patreon with the link in the description below. And we hope you do. It means a lot. All right, guys. We'll catch you later. Peace. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.